You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Now you roll and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. Hello, my name is Paul Barnett and welcome to The Great Coaches Podcast, where we believe that there is no algorithm for leadership and so we interview great sports coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us be better leaders. Our great coach on this episode is Jeremy Gunn. Jeremy is a former professional soccer player and now head coach. He grew up in England before moving to America for university. There, he attended Cal State and was part of their 1992 championship team and an All-American. He then transitioned into coaching and became an assistant at Cal State before becoming a head coach at Fort Lewis College. He led them to six Rocky Mountain Championships and the 2006 NCAA Division II Championship. He then moved to the Charlotte 49ers before becoming the Stanford men's head coach in 2011. He has since led the Cardinals to three NCAA championships as well as five straight Pac-12 conference titles. Jeremy is a sincere and deep-thinking coach and some of the highlights for me from our interview were his view that when coaches hold back on challenging people for fear of overstepping a line, they are in fact not helping the athlete become mentally fitter. 
how the line to which you can challenge people changes with each individual. And so when you're a coach or a leader, the big thing is to create agreed upon lines within the group you have and then maintain standard to those lines. And how he believes that people are a product of their environment. And he sees the role of the coach to create an environment that shapes people towards the outcome that you want. And just before we go to the interview with Jeremy, if you enjoy what we do here at The Great Coaches Podcast, then head over to our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. There you will find loads of exclusive audio and video content that you can search through by keyword or phrase, download and share with your friends and family. It's designed to bring a different context to the challenges that you might be facing. And now, please enjoy our interview with Jeremy Gunn. You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Jeremy Gunn, hello and welcome to The Great Coaches Podcast. Thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, excited to talk a little bit of uh, soccer, as we call it in this part of the world, and yours today as we, we head into the World Cup. But something simple to get us going, Jeremy. Where are you in the world and what have you been up to so far today? Um, I live in, well, just outside of Palo Alto, California. Uh, and um, we're in the middle of our summer here. And so living in Palo Alto, California, um, at Stanford University as we speak, Um Today, we've been running around getting ready for some identification camps that start next week. It's a big part. And then uh, during that time, we'll be welcoming all of our squad back to be doing work with us. And then within a month's time, we'll be getting ready to to start a new season and kick off another campaign. Sounds like we picked just the moment to grab a little bit of your time before you get busy again. Yeah. Could I start, uh, Jeremy, by just uh, talking about um, some of the great coaches that I could see by researching that you've worked with? There's Simon Toman, Andy McDermott, and of course you were with David Shaw, the football coach uh, at Stanford as well, for, who was the football coach, I should say. But I'm sure you've met other good ones on your journey and perhaps some that aren't so good. But what do you think the great coaches do differently that sets them apart? I think drive is the big thing because I think um, I think it's pretty easy to be average at anything and to be okay at something uh, without putting yourself out there. And so I think the generally the people who achieve things that they've got an incredible drive. Um, and what's funny in today's society, we always talk about making sure we have a balanced lifestyle, and I I just really disagree with that because I look, look at the big buildings that are named after people on campus. I look at the great achievements that anybody in history has had. And I'm quite positive that people who are really great at what they do, they're, they're quite laser focused in what they really want to do. And then the rest of life will come around them in either bigger or smaller roles. But I just think drives that big one. Um, and so the people that, that really affected my life and my career, uh, Simon Tobin, who recruited me from England, um, to California. And, um, you know, the biggest thing from him was just that absolute determination to, to transform a program that was really, really struggling and to have the vision and the drive to, to make it something really special and eventually a national champion, you know? Um, and then as I, as I moved on as a, as a head coach, um, I had an 
incredible stroke of luck that I came across a, a gentleman that's now passed, Andy McDermott, who was a youth coach at Arsenal. And um, he was just a coaching genius compared to where I was in the world of coaching. And um, from him, you know, he was just such an amazing performer. He every session he'd he'd kind of go through his ideas and and it was it was like watching an incredible actor because he'd get on the stage and and he would just he would just draw all of the players in um, and so I learned so much from the the true coaching art from him in a really special way. Um, somebody didn't mention not a coach, Doctor Dan Freegang, who's a sports psychologist. Um, I chased after him way before people were really identifying sports psychology as a major component. And um, I was smart enough to to just be really inquisitive about things from him and uh, managed to have a great working relationship with him for a long, long time. And, you know, that was really learning about the people. Because um, when I started coaching, it was, it was very much about me and my record. And I think we'll, we'll get to that. But... Um, and so for him, it was it was really learning a bit a bit more holistically, and really getting to understand people much more. Um, then you see people like Coach Shaw on campus here, David Shaw. Um, you know, he's somebody that in if anybody knows college American football, this is a brutal sport, um, very very competitive combat sport, but also uh, in the college game, it's it's ridiculous how. Um, uh, competitive it is the best word but I could use much worse words uh, there's a lot of things go on around the sport and and he was somebody that in a, in a world of all sorts of craziness going on just operated completely beyond reproach and had the most level-headed sensible way of navigating um, just an, an amazingly high-paced um dim- Demanding environment, really. You also spent time with Sir Alex Ferguson, perhaps one of the greatest coaches ever. Can you yeah, tell us about I that can. experience? Well, I'm a Leeds fan, so my brothers would have to turn off when I hear this. But yeah, I I really think Sir Alex Ferguson's the greatest of all time. I do that. I wear red shirts at Stanford now. I, I never wore a red shirt in my life till I was 40 years old and I took the job here. That's so growing up, I wasn't really allowed to admit to liking things from anything in Manchester. Um, but yeah, we we had the incredible opportunity to see people uh, working with their teams here. Uh, and um, so I've, I've had the most amazing of, of educations of the truly great coaches. Uh, we had Jürgen Klinsmann here before a World Cup with the national team and he afforded us unbelievable access, just an amazing man, a really cool person, and, and definitely just a true visionary, you know. Some people in the game would wonder about uh, his tactical ideas, and, you know, everybody criticises that on coaches. But, you know, he, he transformed a lot of German football when it went back to Germany because he was almost a mad scientist. He was really capable of thinking outside the box because he'd spent time in the US and seen other sports. Um we had Jurgen Klopp here uh, with his first preseason for Liverpool. Amazing watching him, and you talk about the intensity of their environment it was just amazing. Um, Antonio Conte with an incredible Juventus side, 
the awesome thing about him being here was that um, he was desperate to be learning English because he had eyes on the Premiership. And so he was quite happy to talk soccer as much as I wanted to. So that, that was really, really cool. So uh, to get tactical discussions from people like that, pretty amazing. Um, but then we had Louis Van Gaal here with Manchester United. Uh, he didn't give me the time of day, but there you go. Uh, maybe he had other things on his mind. You know, we think, oh, my goodness, how rude. But he was probably worried about one of the players leaving, one of the players coming. Who knows? But anyway, in the stands was um, Sir Alex Ferguson because he was over as an ambassador for Manchester United. And so I'm watching the training session, but I'm really kind of looking at him. It's kind of like, you know, the uh, when you're in middle school and you're at the dance and you're too nervous to go and ask the, the person for a dance. And I'm there, should I, shouldn't I, should I? And I said, oh, sorry, I'm going over. Anyway, went over and introduced myself, told him what I did here and um, just offered, if you have an interest, I'd love to, you know, we give like kind of golf cart tours of the campus. I can steal a golf cart and, and take you around a bit, show you around. He said, oh, that'd be great. And so uh, Brian Robson, you know, one of his ex-captains, ex captain of England was sitting next to him. So I basically got to chauffeur the tour of Mar around campus for two hours um and just um just a really really cool experience with them you know um and when you talk about these these great people what's really interesting the truly great people seem to also be really inquisitive and they're just always interested they kind of they just have a a thirst for knowledge i think people who think they're great think they know all the answers and then I think there's a level above those people who do have a lot of answers. It's the people who they have that growth mindset and they're, they're always looking and interested. And so there's me trying to ask tons and tons of questions to person who I think's you know, the most successful coach that certainly that I've ever been aware of. Um, and he's asking all questions about the college. So, like, so, so how does this work then? So they, they do studies and they play. I mean, what do you think? Does that work? And, you know, and so, so I got to talk to him about, you know, the successes of how this system works and all of these different things. And he, he was just fascinated with it. But, um, uh, you know, to be able to talk to somebody like him that, um, I really identify with him because if you read about Sir Alex, you know, he came from a working class background and I, I just identify with some of the values and the ethos and, um, and for a person to have driven such a huge monster so successfully is just amazing, I, I really think, you know. And um, I just, um, it kind of saddens me a bit that I think the role of the coach slash manager seems to be getting more and more marginalized. I think the big business world is thinking we shouldn't put all our eggs in one basket of a coach, which positives and negatives with that but I think the big negative is that you kind of lose some of the personalities that really created identities of clubs and different things so um no it's 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 an amazing thing when I came here one of the lures to here was that I'd be able to surround myself with amazing people but if when I arrived here in 2012 somebody was going to list all of the people that I got to sit and learn things from uh, I would have told them they're crazy you know well you're asking what I'm doing today so even this morning I I bump into Andrew Luck who 
American football fans will know he's, you know, one of the great quarterbacks. And he was in college when I first got here. And um, you just have access to so many great people. And uh, I just do, I, I talk too much. And so I, I do my best to know that they, they don't want to hear what I'm talking about. I, I want to hear what they're talking about. And so you get to hit them up. And it's um, it's just an amazing opportunity to be around such great people. And uh, not, you know, I, I know everybody likes some of the stardom things and it's cool to name drop when you say you watching PLO stroke balls to all of these people. That's really cool. Or Wayne Rooney working on his finishing or something like that. And but um, so those those things are kind of cool as a fan, but as a coach and somebody who's just desperate to always get better, desperate to learn. It's pretty neat when you get to to have access to these people. So, Jeremy, when you were at Cal State as the assistant to Simon Tobin, yeah, that mm-hmm. program started off at one and fifty nine, I think. I think it was one and eighty nine before. He, yeah, mm-hmm. but you turned it around and you became the Division Two Championship champions. And I'm wondering, what did you learn through watching that turnaround? Well, um. He took over the program and he, he got coach of the year in his first year going zero and 10 in conference, losing every game. But he got coach of the year because the score lines went from 7-0 to 2-1 and things like that. Um, so very humble beginnings. And, and you know, again, he, he just had a vision and a drive that really had no business of being placed in that situation. And so he did everything you know, put an extra water on the field to make it better, you name it, uh, did it all. And so the biggest original thing was just just getting to see that passion and drive and that if you really put your mind to something, you know, I can say anything's possible, but at least it is way more possible and way more probable than if you don't do it. But um so there's one humbling thing that happened. So as a player going through part of the growth process, we we kind of took over the first few hurdles when I was a player, but we we got much better when I stopped playing and became an assistant. <laughs> we had better players then, <laughs> replacing me included. Um, but, um, you know, as a player, I was, I was quite critical and I'd complain about certain things like our scholarships would never get paid on time. And so, you know, we would get dropped from classes. And so I'd, I got to learn that every quarter I would have to schmooze the professor and say, hey, look, I have to be in this class, but my name's not going to show up on the roster for a couple of weeks because it always gets paid late, et cetera, et cetera. And so when I when I became Simon's assistant, I had a, an idea that I was going to be able to fix a ton of working things that really should be better, et cetera, et cetera, in my on my high horse, you know, and then when I when I became part of it, I, I realized that um, if Simon had gone by what should have happened, nothing would ever have got done, because the money just wasn't there to be successful. It wasn't there to support these scholarships, and he was constantly stealing from Peter to pay Paul, sort of thing. And so every year he would go in massively over budget just to be able to pay scholarships for the players, like what I'd gone through. And then tirelessly tirelessly working all summer long with summer camps and leagues and clinics and different things to pay off the debt. And so it was kind of a bit of a humbling experience for me. It's like 
don't ever make assumptions about things until you actually know the whole story. Um, and and then also just that type of drive thing that it's like, don't accept no for an answer. Because the, the simple answer is, well, you can't afford to run a program that's going to be successful. That was the easy answer. The hard answer was, okay, what do we need? What can I try and do? And then I'm going to lose every night's sleep trying to figure out how to back it up when that comes along. So just an unbelievable experience and certainly um, what a cool journey that he had. And I was fortunate enough to be a, a part of it and got to learn so much along the way with him before then eventually moving on, you know. Well, let's talk about moving on because you have a bachelor's and you have a master's degree, I can see. I understand it was a professor of organizational behavior who actually helped you develop this appreciation for people being a product of their environment. And I know this is very much a central part of your coaching philosophy. Can you tell us why this idea resonated with you so much? Yeah, I, um, you know, I actually, I even studied biology when I was in high school. And so I was really fascinated in evolution and fascinated in nature and nurture. Um, and so I always had an interest in environmental factors and, and, you know, we, we grew up in an area where people would talk about uh, God-given talent and things like that. And so, you know, this uh, many, many years later, I'd become a disciple of Dr. Carol Dweck with the book Mindset and then actually understanding a lot more of the um, academic thoughts about these areas. Um, but, but at that time, it, it was very much, you know, uh, uh, if you're going to be a coach, if you just think people are good or not, then what's the point in really coaching and educating? You might as well just spend all of your time recruiting, trying to get the best horses possible. And so your job really as a coach is just a recruiter. Or you really can think, how can I shape something and help improve people, help improve an environment? And so you know, I, I look at it for me um, – in essence, for me, is if, if you want a really competitive, hardworking, really tough, driven environment, then how are you going to shape people to be that way? And so if you want certain actions, create your environment to be that. And I really think that applies to just about anything. So to me as a coach, figure out what product you want, what outcome you want, and then create an environment that's going to shape people towards that. Um, and so, you know, I, I even kind of had a, I then look back and I even think I had a pretty good case study from just my high school experience. You know, the biology teacher I had was, everybody was frightened to death of him, uh, you know, intimidated, et cetera, et cetera. So if you, if you forgot your homework, you, you ran home and picked it up and ran back and got it in on time. If you're tired the night before turning in the homework, you stayed up and you did it. It was that simple. As a result, the results from his classes were incredible. Um, then I had a math teacher who was the nicest person in the world. If you forgot something, then you didn't bother turning it in, and an, an excuse was easily done, you know. If you're tired, you didn't bother doing it. And so to me, it was just there. For, and again, not everybody works this way, but for me, it was simple. If you have a strong, disciplined environment, it's going to create discipline, strong results. If you have a laissez-faire environment, then maybe you know it might allow for more creativity and things like that. But 
you also got a lot of lack of accountability and a lot of people not reaching that mark. And I kind of look at when I deal with the great people that I work with, they don't ask permission to set a high standard. They just go ahead and do it. You know, they they have high standards. But a lot of people often settle for low standards. And so to me, I try and create an environment that's that's really going to push those high standards. So I see those things and I just think, you know, how you do something is how you do everything. And then I I look at what we want with our environment and it's um, – it's an environment of growth. And so every person's constantly trying to pursue maximal growth in a real targeted way. Um, and, you know, we look at those values of having a compete level, being hardworking, being relentless, being disciplined, having humility and um, a real accountability within that environment. And so, we, you know, I've kind of gone by the fact that if I can create this type of environment, I'm going to get these types of results. And so I don't think things happen by accident. You know, when I when I watched Liverpool train under Klopp, everything about it was electrifying. How do they play? Electrifying. Same with under Conte. Everything about it was, it was sharp. It was intense. Just, you know, you, you don't spend half half an hour going to get a drink of water, you jog in, you jog out. Everything about it had an intensity to it, which then formed people with intensity. Um, I think the, the the big questions are really, though, when you think of nature and nurture, though, and this is where I'd pay people anything, is to figure out the million-dollar questions of what is hardwired in people and what is malleable and what can you change and alter. Um I, I don't think there's a right answer for everybody. I think certain things are more hardwired in some people and the same character traits are, are less hardwired in other people. I do know that, you know, we pick up people at the age of 18. There's been 18 years of of um, um, an environmental factor on them, as in the parenting they've had and the environment they've been in. And so, when we look at our recruitment process, we're desperately looking for the people that are going to fit our identity already because it's going to mean that we have to do less shaping and they can help shape our environment rather than uh, hold it back. Um, and then also one one thing that's really important for, I think, our college system, we do spend big periods of time just training and not competing. And so if we need to create a really, really competitive team, then we're going to have to create a really, really competitive training environment because we can't just try and up our performance on game days when we play many, many less games and typical professional in the rest of the world would play. And so our college training environment is imperative. You know, we're, we're coaching people the ages of 18 to 22 so it's a massive growth stage still. We're not coaching 30-year-olds where we're just managing them. And we're not coaching seasoned pros that are really, really hardwired in many ways. We've got fertile young people who can really grow, really change. And so our environment is going to really dictate, hopefully, how far we can stretch their parameters. Jeremy, I think a lot of what you've talked 
about their discipline, hard work, accountability. I think it comes to bear in this next quote that I have from one of your ex-players. It was uh, Brandon Vincent, who, of course, went on to, to represent Team USA. And he said, he, Jeremy, wanted to make sure everyone that was there wanted to be there and wanted to really push. And so he tested us. A lot of guys lived up to the test and were fine, and some guys couldn't handle it, and they ended up quitting. I want to pick up on this theme of pushing and you know challenging people and make creating a competitive environment to to make sure that they do thrive and become the best they can be because there's a line as a leader which is the right place where you challenge the individual and it's really hard sometimes to find that line but when people ask you for advice what do you tell them around this line this line that demarcates pushing just the right amount but not too far there's a ton in this and this is um this is such an exciting topic but also a topic of my biggest struggles um i think first of all brandon's a stud by the way what a cool guy and uh he you know he went on to represent the us he was he was crushing it in major league soccer and he he walked away far younger than i would have wanted him to as his soccer coach but he went into the financial sector, crushed it in that, and he's currently an MBA student here on campus, and so I get to see him a ton, and then just became a dad the other day as well. So, um, I mean, so cool dude. Uh, I could talk about him for hours, but um, but it, you know, as far as the pushing on that line, I think that, that there's no correct answer to this because um, we all have different feelings of where lines should be and they're very very subjective uh and so where you think a line is is very different than where i do and where the next person is so the there can't be a a proper answer to where lines should be because it's so subjective with and then also we've got ever-changing norms we've got ever-changing expectations in society and so the lines are changing even more um I do really think, though, when you're a, a coach or you're a leader, the big thing is to create agreed-upon lines within the group you have and then maintain standard to those lines. And so your opinion now doesn't matter. My opinion now doesn't matter. We as a team have decided that this is the line, so that's the standard we're going to go by until we agree that that, that standard needs to change. Um, but again, now, you know, then when we talk about pushing people, um, now we're talking about kind of different lines, aren't we? You know, it's not just standard really. Um, so Brandon was, was part of our first recruiting class here. And, um, so he was part of that wonderful journey of going with a team that kind of went from a hundredth to number one. And so when you, when you're part of that journey, that there is a beginning point that's, that is different. So he's talking about the beginning when um, I inherit a program, I'm a new coach. And so it's different. Um, I think it's really, really natural for a beginning to be tough. I think it's really natural for a beginning to be extra demanding. Um, and so when we, when we started off, um, there needs to be change. You know, typically when you're moving into an environment, most likely it's because the environment 
didn't work out for a short period of time, whatever. Um, but so, you know, you think that the group needs change. Um, the people in the group weren't recruited by you and they didn't recruit you as their coach. So their ideologies, their lines, they're different than what yours are anyway. And so you're already not necessarily a match. Um, and then speaking like with uh, my, my good friend, another college coach, Kevin Lang, and, you know, he always talks about creating a, a high demand, high support environment, um, which I think is really vital. You can really expect high demands and be really supportive. But to, to be honest, at the beginning, I'm in favor of the high demand environment and little support because that way I could really judge if people wanted to be in our new world. Um, and so when you're inheriting people, make it really tough, make it really demanding, force upon change upon people, and then see who wants to be on the bus. Um, and then when you do that, the people who are on the bus now, you know they're with you because they hadn't chosen you. They were given you against their will, maybe. You know, maybe some of them are still pining for the last coach, you know, the person who believed in them and recruited them. So um, initial time, absolutely make it really, really tough. And I'm okay with that. And I, you know, I, I know that means that some people drop out. Um, I make no apologies for that. It's tough. It's it's part of any environment. I think if if you have any athletic environment where everybody's content with their role, I don't think you're pushing hard enough. And so you've got to push and stretch people, make people grow, make people change. And then if people don't want to go in that direction, that's okay. Uh, they don't want to sign up for a new version. That's, that's fine by me. Um, and so as you, as you push those lines, I think, um, I'd like to think a lot of my ex-players would make a compliment of our environment, said it is really uh, really demanding, and that they're actually really proud that they were part of such a demanding environment, and they were proud that this was an environment that wasn't for everybody, you know. And so I, I'm okay with the fact that it it's tough and those lines are pushed. Now, that's one part. Now I get really philosophical and this is where uh it becomes a struggle and it becomes confusing for people and coaches educators today i think um i have a ton of thoughts with this and some of it's kind of a slippery slope in some ways but i i look at it just from my experience in my lifetime i think we've gone through three distinct periods of line setting and expectations and accountability with those things I think, you know, when I started off in sports and different things, we were a bit of a darker period where I think it was absolutely Darwinism, survival of the fittest. <laughs> if if you didn't crush everybody, then they were tougher, right? And people survived through basic training of the forces. They survived through preseason. They survived through the norm setting, goal setting phases um and i think during my career and my lifetime i really think we as a society really improved and got better where we were still pushing for high expectations and high performance but 
we had a much better understanding that there were there were topics of mental well-being there were topics that um are certain lines that shouldn't be crossed by coaches because that's that's not cool that's not right that's unethical etc cetera, etc cetera. um but now's the really slippery part now we get into the era we're in um this is where i so i i felt that in my career we'd made great progress now as much as certain things are still progressing i i really think that um we're almost at the stage now where we are so worried about lines being crossed that it's hampering performance and i think mm. it's holding a lot of good people back in what they want to do i i truly believe that and again that the, my disclaimer to this whole part now is not that i don't recognize mental illnesses and mental issues trust me i'm, I'm acutely aware my uh, my mother suffered terribly from certain things and i've i've been around people uh, with with serious serious issues um but i don't think having a really demanding line pushing environment creates mental illness typically i think though there are some biological things there now me creating a line that you don't like can make you upset can make you angry can make you not happy etc cetera, etc cetera. but i would have come from the place that i think ethically i'm pushing the line on you for a great cause i want you to be upset i want you to struggle i want you to have hardship and if we keep at it together you're going to be able to push further and then you'll come back to me in 10 years time and go hey thanks for kicking my ass sort of thing you know uh, but at the time you wouldn't feel that way um but the thing i see now though like some of those people that might have dropped out of a program i was in when i was now pushing things originally i think some of some people in those situations are now have a really strong voice and um it it makes life really difficult because everybody's idea of a subjective line is so different and so i um i really struggle with this because i think my job is to help you as a player grow for us as a team to grow and i think the way of growing is by really making it demanding and then obviously as we go through the journey really supporting as well um and so you know i i struggle every single day now with looking at where those lines should be drawn and where other people think they could be drawn um there's a fun ricky gervais quote and my goodness i shouldn't start quoting that on a coaching podcast right but you know he you know he gets a you know he gets barracked for offending people and his his answer to that is just because you're offended is it's not my fault that's your problem and you know i i cannot guarantee that i know exactly where you think your subjective lines are and whether you're right or wrong and so i'm wired to pushing people i'm wired to putting the hurt on people and it comes from a place of love and desire and drive and so the the people who are on board with us uh as upset as they might be today they're okay with it in the long run 
And then when we get together for a beer or a coffee in 10 years' time, we talk about it. And look, the conversations with past players are always about those moments that if we were talking about line crossing, they'd be bought up, you know. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It sounds like yeah. you've reflected on it deeply. It sounds like it's... It sounds like it's taking a lot of your headspace. And I'm. what if we flipped it around and what if we said, do you ever, you know, step forward and engage and apologize in the moment? Or is it, or is that just even then more confusing for you and, and the athlete? No, I think if you think you're in the wrong with stuff, I think you absolutely should apologize. Again, we go through this. We, we make lots of mistakes on them. Um, that's okay. And, uh, look, we're, we're in a, an intensive environment. And again, remember, we have to create an environment in college. We have to create a, an intensity that isn't naturally there day to day. And so the environment that we want to allow people to perform at their best in a really intense environment needs to be intense by what I've said. Um, absolutely, you apologize with different things. Um, but remember, there's that there are moments that we all say, you know, if you think in sporting events, there are, there are always regrettable moments. Uh, and when you're sitting at home eating your popcorn, it's really easy to pass judgment. I think that's really unfair in many situations. Uh, is the action wrong? Uh, in my opinion, yes. But I understand that person is in the moment and they're being asked to compete and push as hard as they can that doesn't always give guaranteed clear thinking. And so, but if that person's intent in that moment was just, I'm trying to compete. And then after the fact, it's like, yeah, I was trying to compete, but that's not the right thing to do. I'm perfectly okay with that and non-judgmental. Um, I think um, uh, I, I'm, I'm very reflective on this because I've always pushed people and I've, I've prided myself on being, capable of pushing people i prided myself on the fact that when guys come back to our program and talk and they pass on knowledge to our players they they say hey the standards we had here were fantastic the people i work with uh they, they don't even know how to keep standard and so i'm really proud of how we've pushed but we also have a modern society that is making you absolutely fearful of pushing anybody's lines in any way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. 
And I I struggle with that. I really do. And I think it's, uh, you know, I have my own coach and we talk about, okay, uh, how can I continue to turn the screws on people, but do it in a, a way that can te- completely protects me from having lawsuits or people wanting me fired, et cetera, et cetera, but also still allows people to, to grow and change. Um, you know, athletes are pushing past boundaries that their brain or body tells them not to push past. Um, and sometimes, like a, a half-time talk, if you were to transcribe a half-time talk, it wouldn't look that pretty sometimes when it's that moment. Not not always like that, but it's – and all that is, this is somebody that you love and care about and you want them to do well. And I feel that I have a skill set at prodding and poking people to get a response, you know. And I'm I'm okay with that. I, I feel it's completely in context and completely for the good of the cause in my role as head coach. Um, but I know a, a lot of coaches in today's world – are frightened of pushing people, are frightened of mentally challenging people because they're worried about what that other person's line is. And and here's the thing that I, I heard a great podcast uh, recently, and um, I'm terrible. I forget the lady's name, but, you know, we talk about mental health so much today. And she talks about we've got to reframe it and call it mental fitness. Because with, when we talk about mental health, uh the moment you have a hardship and an issue, you think it's it's um, an illness. You think it's a catastrophic problem. Whereas if we can talk about mental fitness, these are just challenges. You're framed as challenges. And the more mentally fit you are at this present time, the more you're up to more challenges. The less mentally fit you are, the less you're up to those challenges. And so I look at my job at pushing the envelope, pushing those lines, I'm helping train you to become more mentally fit, to become more able to take on any challenges and frame them as, okay, right, this sucks, this is tough, but I'm up to it because I'm strong. I've got mental strength. Whereas we're in a bit of a society now while having spoken so much now about mental health where we never did when I was a young player at all. Now we talk about it all the time, but I think we're almost creating people who then want to run away from these issues and not be exposed to these issues rather than to be challenged head on and to be bopped on the nose and then having to deal with it. Um, And so I, you know, I I look at the different coaches, you know, there's a famous swim coach, you know, purposely breaks the goggles of their swimmer at one of the lower meets so that that person can then know how to deal with it. And then they become an Olympic champion and their goggles weren't even working properly. Right. Mm. I mean, today's world, I do that. I've got to worry about a lawsuit now because I'm mentally abusing my athlete. And it's like, you know, I, I feel that the good era was a time when we go into a relationship we earn trust, and with that trust, if I step over a small line and you step over a small line, it's all good. You apologize, you move on, because we all know we're in it for the same thing. Whereas coaches, 
and our teachers of our kids they they struggle to push people now and i like i say i'm, I'm not belittling true true issues i'm not belittling that at all i have to be crystal clear with that but i just know every action has a consequence every environment creates an outcome and i just kind of go are we holding back on people a little bit too much and as a result not making not helping people become mentally fitter you know avoidance is making you weaker sort of thing um so those are so to 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 comment to this as well now you talk about product and environment what this means for me our re- recruitment process is even more important because i know what environment that we're promising i know what people we want on board and so if we can recruit more like-minded people with the values and the hardwiring that we do believe in then their their subjective lines are going to be like ours because again if, if if we line two people up and i crack a joke well one person's offended one person thinks it's funny and within reason you know so it's not egregious the same with pushing people and boundaries with that um you know i, I have great players that i would absolutely get after you know and some of it was it's poking them it's poking them other players my goodness they would crumble with that and so can you know we're, we're all different but can we recruit really well towards the identity we want and so now my my recruitment process here i, I do everything in my power to persuade people out of coming here i go i'm promising hardship i'm promising tears i'm promising failure i'm promising hard work and i'm promising all of these things and if you go through that you're going to be so strong but you're not going to get pats on the back every second you're not going to get superlatives every second this is what we stand for do you want to be in or not and so then we're agreeing upon the rules of engagement you know you know within reason then i think we've got a much better chance of success and i think i'm a much better coach for those people that i recruit in that way um if i sell my soul flattering people i just that's just not me i can't do it and i can't actually i can do it but then i hate myself for it and then i become a really bad coach for them so it just it just doesn't work <laughs> jeremy can i ask you about just a little bit more about the culture you're setting up there. And I've heard you talk about the matrix you've got on your training door that challenges you to reflect on whether you're either a culture champion or a culture killer. Can you can you tell us about that? Yeah, I can't, can't remember where we got it from years ago. And just a, a four-box matrix kind, you know, the bottom left-hand corner was a culture killer, low performer, um, and then the top left was a, a high performer but a culture killer so someone who who can do their job but doesn't really help the team and doesn't bring the most out of people or maybe goes about things the wrong way bottom right hand corner is someone who's a low performer but a culture champion so someone who's not good enough yet but they have the right attitude they do the right things and so they absolutely have the propensity to move upwards because we believe in growth to become that culture champion and that high performer. 
Um, it's funny, so the, the, the coach, the executive co- coach I work with, because, you know, I've been questioned about usage of words and, you know, I got into trouble for saying somebody's behavior is cancerous and I don't think that's wrong. Um, culture killer, it's like, well, should you use the word killer? Can't you, somebody who should improve the culture? It's like, oh, come on. And again, I, I want to use provocative words because coming back to the lines, if I, and I, this comes back to the teachers I had that worked with me, if I have somebody that beats around the bush, it doesn't land and I'm not listening. If I have somebody that gets right to it, they get my attention. Now I've got to think about it and now I've got to decide if I want to change it or not. So I, I, I prided myself on using strong, provocative words throughout my career. I thought that was really good. Now I'm confused that am I allowed to use these words because the word I use is too provocative and I've crossed somebody's line. Sorry, I'm going back to the last question, aren't I? <laughs> no, no. But anyway, so but but with this box, it was really cool. So we would just, this is who we are. This is how we want to be. And so, and remember, we're always talking about growth. So this isn't this isn't fixed. It can be this moment, this day, hey, you're over here. Get your backside over there. Come on. That's not that's not helping you. It's not helping us. And remember, environment is everything. So if you don't work your hardest, say as a striker, then our defender's not getting chiseled in the way that he needs to. And so product of the environment, if if you're going at 80%, the person you're going up up against is not improving as much. And then the person they're going up against is not improving as much. And so it really comes back to my, my massive belief. You know, we play a team sport. It's a combat sport. Um, and uh, I really think the alpha dogs set the pace. You know, I like to talk about a, a great team being kind of like a, a pack of huskies, you know, and when when you have two dogs pulling on a rope in opposite direction, it's really obvious that our forces are going against each other and we're not going to get very far. When we talk about agreed upon identity, agreed upon dri- driven goal, then here's the direction we're going in. And if you think of that, every time somebody just veers off slightly in that direction, we're losing some of our distance, what we can achieve. And then in that that pack, the alpha dogs are going to set the pace. So your high performers, they better be culture champions. And I can I can come back to discussions on that if you want. But what what we then talk about is fulfilling role always, doing your best with what you've got always. And so the dogs further back, if they're only going at 80%, they're a little bit of dead weight for the alpha dogs now. So everybody's got to be going all out all the time. And whenever you're not going all out, you're not only hurting your performance, but you're really affecting the team performance. And um, I think we could all have some fun talking about famous star soccer players that are alpha dogs and they don't set the pace maybe anymore, you know. A, A simple example for me would be you look at a great player who's now at the end of their career, uh, they still do enough to get the stats. They still do enough to sell the jerseys, but are they really helping the team out anymore? Um, 
and those are those things that I'm I'm always very wary of. And again, I I live and breathe what we talk about: identity, hardworking, doing your best. And so, if you have people that they might score you a goal, but they're not working as hard as they can, I um I struggle with those people because I think they're going to affect the rest of the group massively. Because the rest, because remember, we're we're still at the formative stage. If I was coaching thirty-year-old pros, thirty-five-year-old pros, maybe I wouldn't worry as much about it. I'd still have my philosophical beliefs, but I wouldn't be as worried for performance. Young college players growing all the time, they have to be showing those hardworking behaviors all the time to be able to continue to grow. It's uh, it's fascinating listening to you, Jeremy. There's this there's this theme of self reflection, very heavy self reflection that comes through uh, when you talk. And in fact, it's almost like you measure yourself internally before you look outward. And, and to that point, I've actually heard you say you shouldn't compare players from year to year because the context is very different. Have you always been this way, or was there an event or something that challenged you to be more reflective? Um. I don't know, really. I mean, so much of my original career, it wasn't planned out or carefully mapped out. It was There's a lot of things that were just there and continued to grow. And it, it wasn't until 10, actually, actually, time goes by, 15 years ago that I was really starting to really dig deeper on the why and how we go about things, you know. So there wasn't a lot of literature available. There wasn't a lot of impactful information available when you're first starting out coaching, you know. I think life was more simple then as well. <laughs> um, but, I mean, if, you, if you're looking at kind of introspection, um, we, we talk about the mirrors and windows, which I really like. And it's just natural that when you do well, you look at yourself in the mirror and you think how wonderful I am. And when you do badly, you look out of the window and you point the finger and blame other people. And so, you know, one of the parts of our code is to to reverse that and say, hey, when things aren't good, look in the mirror. Start with yourself. And then when things are great, show a bit of humility, point out the window to your teammates and say, I'm great because of them. And uh, always try to look at it that way. And I haven't always looked at it that way. My goodness, i got vanity, but... Uh, I certainly know to educate my players on these things. I, I don't know. And I think, you know, there's certain parts of uh, some parts. I, I don't, I, I've not really had, I am, um, I'm trying to think of incredible light bulb moments, but um, I mean, a great one was with Andy McDermott when I invited him in to work with us. I, um, you know, I sat down uh before he was he was going to come help me in pre-season and uh and I had it all mapped out and I spent basically an hour explaining how everything was going to go in pre-season and how he would dovetail into all of my work and all this and the other and after I'd blathered on for over an hour he basically said uh Jeremy how about you let me take the session tomorrow <laughs> and I, I was gobsmacked because you know I'm a I'm a leader from the front you know and uh, I just had a, I've said this before on interviews, but it's like, I'm so proud of this moment of humility that I actually, for some reason, 
completely against who I am, allowed an outsider to take control, you know, because that, that's not me. And uh, and he, he ran the first session and it was just like, wow, this guy knows so much more than I do. This is amazing. And so it's like, okay, the second session and the third session, you know, we're walking out to middle of preseason, you know, one of my players. And remember, I've been the fearless leader. I'm the boss, you know, I'm Sir Alex Ferguson, whatever you want to say, you know. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and Cole goes, hey, Gunn, what are we going to do today? I said, i got absolutely no idea, mate. But um, I-, I-, I turn the screws on you to improve. And you've got to have the humility to know when you can get better and take outside information as a treat. So I'm doing the same right now, you know. And honestly, it was a, it was that for me actually the most humbling uh, and frustrating time of my career. But the somewhere inside of me, I had just enough humility to realize that this guy was a genius, and I was clueless, and I could absolutely learn so so much from him. And so. In that, you know, in those moments, I think I'll give myself credit that I'm a pretty, pretty smart magpie. You know, some people can steal ideas from everywhere, and I do that all the time, shamelessly. Um, but for some reason, I, I've managed to figure out who to steal from and in which way, so that it's authentic when I when I take it on and plagiarize. You know, all legally, of course, right. All legally, of course. There's a quote from you that really resonated with me, actually. You said, as a coach, you're creating different motivation from day to day, but you're also being a pressure valve. 100% agree with the second part of that, being a pressure valve and letting off steam within the group through your own actions and focus areas. But how do you make sure that this pressure valve doesn't blow when you're the leader? Um. I think first, you know, the the motivation from day to day, I think those are skill sets that you acquire through experiences. And uh, I think through time, you get to recognize personalities, people. And so you really have to constantly understand that you can't read the book and then apply the book on a group of people. You have to read the people and apply what answers are pertinent to those people and then you have to apply the right answers at the right time because um the old axiom you know you can't put your hand in the river uh in the same place twice it's always moving changing the young man that comes into this program uh, as a first year player um his name might be the second the, the same his second third fourth years but he's a different human being and his experiences have changed him for better, for worse, and in all different ways, you know. And so learning to work with different motivations at different times, that's a really fun, enjoyable part of the job. And, um, you know, I, I I hate to be um, bogged down by a strict structure of what we're going to do. I have a strict ideas of principles and standards, but for any given moment, I truly believe there's a totally different answer. And there's a very different answer and a different question for each person you work with. So the young forward that comes in needs uh, a ton of help 
with their confidence, you know, and you you don't gain confidence by me telling them they're wonderful. That people think that, but I think that's rubbish. They gain confidence by learning to execute a task better and then getting really, really good at it. They gain confidence. So they go from not being a goal scorer to being a goal scorer. So they go from low confidence, needing one type of help, to high confidence. Now you've got to worry about if it gets to be overconfidence and complacency. So you're, you're constantly always adjusting the motivational thoughts and you're always constantly adjusting that little pressure valve in these, all of these hundreds of little micro moments that you get every day in coaching, which is, that's really fun. And so, um, you know, when you go home and you complain about the behaviors of the people you work with, it's like, my goodness, that's what makes it so special. If every if everybody was a robot and just kind of, you said one thing and then off they went on the tracks, it'd be pretty boring as a coach. So working with people is the most amazing thing because there's always something new. Um, so yeah, so you you learn to recognize the different motivations. And then even in the, the course of a season, it's like you you have all of these different moments to work through. Um, the first day of preseason, it's a moment and people's energy levels are through the roof. Um, the moment you pick a starting lineup, it's a moment, and now people's motivations change. Um, then you go through the fact that, you know, we'll play twice a week quite often, and so the Thursday night under the lights, the the energy level's through the roof, and you're settling people down. But then Sunday lunchtime you're playing, um, the energy level's low and you've got to raise it up. Sometimes, you know, we we have an emphatic victory on a Thursday. Um, I'll just be on the warpath to find something wrong on the Saturday just to piss people off and just to get them back on their toes. So we're not we're not satiated and happy going into the Sunday lunchtime game. And I I find fun in that. Um, you know, and again, now we come back to those lines and stuff. It's like, okay, you gotta be but um, hopefully you get the point. But so, um, you know, just even talking to the players in different moments, you know, to me, you can, you're not a hypocrite when you can be talking to one person who's got low arousal that this is like life and death. You've got to fight like a warrior, you know. And then in the same game, in the same moment, you're talking to another player. Hey, this is only a game. Just chill out. It's okay. You know, We're, we love you no matter what, you know. And so those are the things with um, uh, being a coach. I think it's really fun being that pressure valve where you increase excitement, energy, decrease it. Um, how do you – and so I guess uh, I look at the great art of coaching would be by being that moderator. Um, and, you know, I, I love the poem by Rudyard Kipling, If – by the way, I think, you know, we, we keep buying all of these incredible books written by amazing people. Go back to the late 1800s, read that poem. And I think he nailed just about everything that I care about. And so if you you show me a great book that's on the shelf today that I would love to read and learn so much from, you can almost take every chapter from that book and go to that poem and go, yeah, he nailed it in two lines. He nailed that chapter in two lines. And I think it's amazing, you know. 
And so, you know, never get too excited, never get too down, all of the different things. You'd go on and on and unpack that whole thing for hours. And so um, I, I really love being that person that's constantly trying to do that. Um, and um, I think that's a skill that you you definitely learn. So sometimes your job to course correct is a little nudge and sometimes it's a thunderbolt. And I think that's good. Now, how do you stop the the valve from blowing? Um, I actually, I've I've got a, a sharp temperament, uh, but sometimes as a coach, I, I'm trying to be the great actor, and so I can stand outside of the locker room before half time, and we're talking as coaches. It's like they need the rocket. Yeah, okay. And in I go, and I go crazy for seven minutes or whatever, and my and my head hurts because I'm shouting so hard. And then I come back out the room. I go, uh, that one was pretty good, wasn't it? <laughs> and we're we're ready to go again. And so some of that's just being on the stage. Um, I don't really lose, you know, the pressure valve doesn't really blow with me much at all. Uh, although the players absolutely think it has done, and. And this is what's fun coming back to walking that tightrope of lines now. Um, for me to land the impact that I want it to land, they have to feel like it has blown in that moment. Now, remember, that's not every game. There's the moments where people are tired and they're hurting and they're feeling sorry for themselves. Give them something else to worry about. And then the the easiest thing in the world is for them to sprint around on a soccer field. Um that's not for every moment and everything and everybody, but there, there, there are those moments where I think they're still awesome. And I think that should still be part of coaching, you know, not screaming every day, but certainly um, again, getting people to the right arousal levels of a, a really competitive sport, you know. Jeremy, perhaps just one final question, if I could. I know we've talked a lot today about meeting some of those alumni and coming back and talking about those hard moments that you've had with them. But in the distant future, when you do hang up the whistle, what is it you hope is the legacy you've left with the people that have been in your program? Um, you see, I, I, you know, I looked at Sir Alex Ferguson a lot through my career and, um, I loved when I was reading from him that the next day after a championship, you were getting after it and going for it. And honestly, I can honestly say I've, I've always led my career that way where I really wasn't ever thinking about the word legacy at all. And uh, I am not a country and Western fan, but Kenny Rogers, the gambler, there'll be plenty of time for counting your chips when the game's done. I'm okay with that. So when I retire, then maybe there'll be a lot more fun reflection and worrying about that. Um, for the most part of my career, it was, I'm a competitor. My job is to help this team win. And I want to do it in a way that I think is good. Simple as that, you know. And for me, good were all of those values. And, and, having the togetherness of a team that's a really cool existence to be part of that pack. And so could, could we win? Could we enjoy the journey? Could we love the failures and successes and, and really enjoy that? And so 
that was really my understanding of my job for a very long time. And then it wasn't until you start listening to all different things and reading different things that, you know, you start questioning what's your higher purpose and what are the real expectations. And then as much as I always felt I was providing a holistic environment, um, I think now I'm thinking more deliberately about that holistic environment, if that makes sense. Um, I guess short answer, legacy-wise, I, I hope you make an impact um, so that you're not forgettable and that when people mention your name, you hope that people laugh and smile. And if there's a few people that frown and scowl, I'm okay with that. I think I think that's okay. I'd, I'd much rather have provoked feelings than not, you know. So, um, no, I think, you know, the, the, the big hope, though, is that you can – have really enjoyed being around people, and I do, and I want to continue doing that. And I I guess I, I get asked about my players a lot, and um, to me, I even say to the guys, I say, look, simple test for me with you, when someone mentions your name in 10 years' time, do I smile? And then with a lot of you, do I laugh? And immediately, I'm thinking of the great moments and great memories, and if, if... If I smile and laugh, then to me that means you've been incredibly successful with where my where my barometer is, if that makes sense. Sounds like a pretty good place for us to finish. Jeremy, thanks so much for your time today. It's been a really deep conversation. I've enjoyed it immensely. It's given me a lot of things to reflect on. And I wish you all the best for the coming preseason. Well, thank you so much for having me. And um uh, it, there wouldn't be right with an Englishman talking to an Aussie if there couldn't be a little bit of sledge in to finish. So hopefully by the time this goes out, maybe the Pommies have got another test back and they can be looking at the decider, yeah? <laughs> maybe I won't release it if that's the case. <laughs> Thanks, we'll Jeremy. Really, time. really appreciate it. Thank you, Jeremy. Hi, everyone. You have been listening to The Great Coach Jeremy Gunn. I hope you got a lot out of Jeremy's reflective style and found a few ideas that you can bring back to your own dinner table, locker room or boardroom table for discussion. Some of the other key highlights for me were the way Jeremy talks about windows and mirrors as a metaphor for the way he encourages self-reflection. His thoughts on how the line which you can challenge people to is important to find as a coach because it's through pushing people towards this point that you help them grow. And the story he tells about the great coaches that he has spent time with, including Sir Alex Ferguson, Jurgen Klopp and Antonio Conte. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And just before we go, if you've got any feedback, then please let us know. The comments and notes that come in from around the world give us great energy and keep us going. All the details on how to connect with us are in the show notes or on our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.